Hi, everyone. Thanks for listening to Lawyer by Day. This, of course, is the second episode of the show. I just wanted to say a quick thank you for your messages about the first episode with Sally Milner. If you haven't checked that out, I would definitely recommend that you go back and have a listen. As a bit of background, this first mini-season of Lawyer by Day is made up of interviews I've done with practicing lawyers who run or are somehow involved in businesses outside of their legal work. If you know a lawyer who's doing this or just generally a lawyer with a great story to tell, please do get in touch with me. My email address is mark at lawyerbydaypodcast.com and I'm also on Twitter at lawyerbydaypod. This episode is actually about a lawyer who once helped me out and I can tell you that at the time I was very glad that her business existed. Hi, I'm Zara. I'm an IP lawyer here in Melbourne and I'm also the founder of Edward Quanton. Zara and I first came into contact on the 3rd of January 2016. I was getting married in just under two weeks. I had my suit, I had my shoes, but I had no idea what I was wearing around my neck. So it was Instagram and I think an earlier referral from a friend that led me to Edward Kwan. Edward Kwan is a men's accessories label and we specialise in bow ties, ties and pocket squares and hand-painted designs. So with my bow tie crisis averted and a few months having passed after the wedding, I had two thoughts following my experience with Edward Kwan. First, I didn't think it was possible for a lawyer working full-time to run a business on the side. And second, an interview with Zara would be a great episode for a podcast. So naturally, my first question for Zara was, where did this all come from? Edward Kwan is one big accident. I never intended to start a men's accessories business. I think going as far back as possible, I think the reason why I started doing anything to do with fashion was is my background before I was a lawyer before I went to law school I actually trained full-time um, at the Australian Ballet School for four years and then also at the VCA before that for a few years so I think my background as a ballet dancer and in the arts and everything instilled in me all the creativity. How did you come to ballet school? I think I just always did it when I was little and then you just gradually if you if you have the talent and the ability and the potential you just keep going with it and then you have to it's very competitive you have to audition to get into the Australian Ballet School and then yeah it's very it's very rigorous training a lot of pressure did you start Edward Kwan when you were at the Australian Ballet Uh, School no I didn't start so when I was at ballet school you're just completely 100% focused on ballet and so I didn't really have any other interests at all besides ballet and then when I quit ballet and I enrolled in law school because I thought it was a good general degree to do and it presents a variety of career options, I didn't really have any hobbies at all, pretty much. When you quit ballet, you just like start life all over again. <laughs> and I think when I started law school, I needed a creative outlet. It was a big change from ballet to law school. I'm not really sure why I started, like, I'm not sure why I got into dressmaking, but I think my mum recommended that I go for some sewing lessons and my grandfather, Edward Kwan, who my business is named after, is a tailor. So I enrolled in some lessons and then I just started making 
dresses for myself and I'd post them on Facebook and Instagram and then eventually friends were like I want to buy something from you so I sold a few dresses and then one day one of my friends from law school said um oh no I made a tie just as an experiment and then he said he'd buy my first tie so he bought my first tie I posted it on Instagram and then all of a sudden people just started requesting to buy ties from me (laughs) and then it just turned into a business I think it was an accidental transition I like I don't think I'd ever shown any interest in fashion or designing before that but I guess that's because you were so focused on ballet that you didn't even try anything else but perhaps since my grandfather is a tailor it might run in my blood perhaps (laughs) I'm not sure what do you remember being your first experience of your grandfather's business? To be honest, I don't, I was never, like, I always knew that he was a tailor, but I never really, I was honestly never really interested in the, in the art form or tailoring or fashion or designing clothing until I decided I needed to find a new hobby. And I think, I think it was purely a creative outlet for me and I really enjoy creating. I think that is my biggest passion in life is it doesn't necessarily have to be um fashion like at work for example I run a lot of social social events at work and I genuinely enjoy like decorating the room or um designing the invites I think I just really enjoy creating through Edward Kwan I've also been able to branch out into creating paint designs because I also do hand-painted designs for my bow ties and also pocket squares and the little hair bows. And this year I'm going to be trying to branch out into actual paintings. I've got my first customer working on a, um, I, I don't really know what I'm doing to be honest. I don't claim to be an artist or a painter, but I, I think I have, I think I have a good eye for what looks good, but I have no idea what I'm doing. So I'm doing some acrylic ink paintings where I just put some ink on the canvas and then flick water at it and it turns into a random splotch artwork, but it, I think it looks good. <laughs> um, when you said that um, you needed a new hobby, did it all begin as a hobby? Yeah, it definitely began as a hobby. And I, I guess I still see it as a hobby, except I just happen to make money from it. And I think that's why I can continue to enjoy it and not get stressed, especially when I'm doing so much. I think if my goal for Edward Kwan was to make money or to build it into some big empire, I think I would probably lose the enjoyment from it and it would be really hard to juggle a law career and a business and I'd probably just burn out and one would have to drop. But I think because I just genuinely enjoy designing and creating and I enjoy running the business, I think I see it more as a hobby and I just happen to make money from it and that's why I can sustain it. You mentioned that your grandfather was probably part of or the origin of the business, that he was a tailor. Did he give you the technical skills that you needed to run this business? Not really, to be honest. I think because my grandfather, he ran the tailoring business. He took it over from his father, my great-grandfather, but I think he actually wanted to be an architect and go to uni and study, but um, he had to run the business. So I think... For me, he never wanted me to do, he never wanted any of us to go into fashion or anything. He wanted us to go to uni. So I think when I first started the business, he didn't really take it seriously. And he was like, you know, finish law school, go and be a lawyer. But I think now that it's started to do a bit 
starting to turn into something a bit more successful and legitimate. I think he's secretly proud of it, but <laughs> um, so he doesn't really teach me too much. He's tried to teach me um, a bit of, so at one, I think the good thing about running a little business that isn't too serious is that I can try out different things. So I've actually have tried out selling his suits. So we, I have, I've had a few customers where I'd measure them up here and then send them off to my grandfather in Singapore and he tailors the suits and sends them back. So he did teach me a bit of the basics of tailoring, but um, I think I've got different focuses now. I think, yeah, it's not the avenue I want to go down. When you said that he is starting to take it a bit more seriously now that he's seen some of the success you've had, is he more comfortable with the idea of you pursuing that path in some way, even if it is like a hobby? Is is he excited that you would... Um, pursue that and, and kind of continue in, in some form some work that he did yeah I think so I'm not I guess he doesn't let out too much I mean if I were him I'd prob- probably be quite proud that <laughs> because I guess nobody in his family wanted to continue on take over his business so he's 85 and he's still working full-time but he's um, downgraded a little bit the shop so he was in the Shangri-La hotel for 39 years and recently in August he's moved to a smaller shop so I think it would have been nice if one of his children or grandchildren could take over the business and keep going so I would say I'm speaking for him he's never voiced it but if I were him I'd feel pretty proud that there's a different version of his business being continued on even if it's not the same business. You said that he worked out of the Shangri-La hotel he would have had um some he would have met interesting people doing that yeah I think um his biggest claim to fame is um when Bill Clinton came to Singapore I'm not sure when it was it was a good maybe 15 20 years ago or something he knew about my grandfather and got my grandfather to personally go to his hotel room and measure him up for a few suits and I know he's also made suits for George Bush senior and also the first president of Singapore so I like to sort of use that when I market my brand as well. (laughs) Is there any other family involvement in your business? Probably the only reason why I can can run my business is because my dad helps out so I actually pay my dad. So when I started my job at the law firm I'm at now as a graduate my dad's I taught my dad to sew and then um, so he sews all the products and I think he had last year he went away for a couple of months at a time and I had to do everything myself and it was doable but I was pretty exhausted so I think if he wasn't helping out I probably wouldn't be able to run the business and might have my law career at the same time. What brought you to your law career? It's going to sound very like uninspirational but <laughs> I quit ballet, didn't know what I wanted to do with my life, studied law because I got good enough grades and I was told that law was a good generalist degree where you could Um, pursue a wide variety of careers and then when you get to law school you just I guess the normal path is to study get good grades get work experience do clerkships get a graduate job and so I did and I was fortunate enough to um, end up at the firm I am at which has a really good intellectual property team which and we happen to have it's kind of weird how this ended, how this turned out, but we just happened to have a really strong fashion law practice, and which is perfect for me. So that's the team I ended up settling in. 
And perhaps if I had ended up in a different area of law, I might not be so positive about law, but I think it's all worked out quite well. (laughs) When you got to law school and you'd left ballet and something that's inherently creative and very like a, a different form of expression to law fundamentally, how did you feel making that transition and knowing what you would be learning for those three or so years, depending on how long you're there, what was your reaction to what you were learning at law school? Yeah, it was definitely a big change and it was definitely probably completely opposite to what I'd spent the last seven years doing. Yeah, I wouldn't say that I loved it straight away, but I think also, I think maybe ballet instilled in me the the work ethic and drive that you just um, you just be persist- persistent and diligent and you just strive for your goals. And so I did that. And then I, and then at the end, I ended up finding an area of law that I really am passionate about. So yeah, I wouldn't say that I would, maybe I shouldn't say that, but I, I don't know. I wouldn't say that during law school that I was extremely passionate about law, but I think it was worth pushing through. And now I found an area of law that's, I actually genuinely find interesting. How did you go about or how did that process of finding an area of law that you're really interested in, how did that occur? Was that just a natural thing? You were reacting to what you'd done before, a creative pursuit, and you you just stumbled upon it or? I guess it helps. I guess it also depends on what, what firm you end up doing your graduate program at because not every firm happens to have some team that's really into fashion law. So I guess it's sort of also fate or whatever you want to call it but um, I actually worked in banking for four and a half years while I was in uni and sort of after I graduated for a year and a half and so that was really good experience and it was a really good company to work for but I think it also I actually did my I actually did my practical legal training in-house at the bank but um, so I guess that was good experience to show me that I didn't want to do banking (laughs) so I guess maybe it's more a process of elimination and working out what what area of law you're not that interested in and then when I got to my firm for my graduate program um you know they the different practice areas they tell you what they do and I found that intellectual property was the one presentation where I was like really engaged and wanted to ask questions and know more about the area of law so when you say you were really engaged, did you know that that was going to be what you were going to do? Did, was it, did it click in a fundamental way or was it a slower kind of burn? I'm not sure if it's my personality or personality that I've developed from ballet or if it's just a lawyer's personality, but I think I just got there and I was like, yeah, that's what I want to do if I'm going to do it. And then I <laughs> just made sure I got settled in that team, did what I had to do. <laughs> So you went from law school um, to the law firm all of that time. Edward Kwan was still going on, or at least you you were still producing things and, and selling them. Had you always been selling things online that entire time? Um, yep. So this is my fourth year running Edward Kwan. And yeah, I guess it's it's built really... It's built out really gradually and organically, which I really like, actually, because I think a lot of friends and um, 
a lot of friends and people I know will like, like to give me advice, which is good. And I like to get advice from people because I have no idea about business and I've just been learning on the job. But often people will have different ideas. I've got a friend who's an investment investment banker and he's always encouraging me to build it up. And he's like, I know you don't want to commercialize it, but you know, you should really think about it. Maybe you could get investors, etc. But I, I feel like I know how I want it to be and I want it I think there's a lot of value in my business in the fact that it's not a big business and it's very not commercialized and the people who do follow me know that I'm not a fashion designer they know that I'm some random lawyer running a fashion business and I think and also the photos I post on Instagram I'm not trying to be some professional um, marketing company like you can tell that they're taking it home Um, and I think there's I think that is the value my I think that's like the value add for my business that's what makes it different to other big businesses out there what's the best advice you have received from those friends then i think some of the best advice i received would be actually quite boring advice like advice on pricing like what to price my products at um it's hard it was at the start it was hard to know what price people will pay or i had um a friend who recommended that i do free shipping because a lot of people when you shop online you go to buy something and then you get to the end and you've got to pay ten dollars shipping and then you close the browser so I think just practical advice like that it's good to ask around because you don't always I think I know what I want to do um, creativity wise for my business but I don't always know the best I've, I've got no idea about business to be honest so um, I've just been learning on the job and I think you need people to advise you sometimes. How do you tend to engage with your customers and and what do you learn from them? So in general, I only have to interact, or I only interact with my customers if if they're doing a customised wedding order. And I think it's really different actually how I interact with my customers as compared to when I'm at law and the emails that go out from lawyers to your clients. Lawyers are very... um, as a lawyer, you have to be very professional and straight to the point. Whereas when I'm speaking, when I'm emailing my customers, I'm very enthusiastic and bubbly. I put exclamation marks and smiley faces, <laughs> which you would never do as a lawyer. But um, I think it's important to, I guess I only communicate with customers via email, but it's important to build with any business. It's important to build good relationships and you want the customer to trust you. And I think often my customers do trust me, like they'll just um, be like, this is what the grooms are wearing, this is what the the bridesmaids are wearing, this is the colour scheme, what do you think will look good? And so I'm always, I always make sure that I'm confident in what I advise them, even if I don't really know. (laughs) Did it take time and effort to develop that ability to advise people on the bow tie for their wedding? I think I'm I think I'm confident in my design. I I'm confident that I have the eye for what looks good and I think that's important. I think there's no point running a business like this if you're not confident that you're good at it. So whenever whenever I tell customers if I what looks good or what doesn't I'm never I'm always I'm never like, "Oh, do you think I'm not sure if it looks good or like I'm I'll just go for it and be like, "Yep, that looks good." But at the end of the day, it's the customer's choice and it's their wedding. So, yeah, it's their decision. (laughs) 
I'd been so caught up in Edward Kwan and fashion that I hadn't asked Zara about what law she practices. So I work in intellectual property litigation. So, but we don't just do litigious work. We also do trademark prosecution. I do trademark work, copyright, design work, and I've started trying to get myself involved in patent litigation. I think it's. I think the company's fashion law is great, but it's also. I guess fashion brands have less resources to um, battle it out in court, whereas um, the pharmaceutical and mining companies obviously have more resources to litigate. So I guess it's good to get... I don't want to be pigeonholed into one sector so that I get the most variety of work. I asked Sarah, apart from the obvious, what the difference was between a mining company and a fashion business. I think with, say, mining companies, if they've got some patent, there's a lot more at stake because I guess it might represent, that patent might represent a huge amount of value for their company. Whereas with fashion, if you have one design that's been copied for a season, I guess obviously it brings in less revenue than a mining patent or a pharmaceutical patent. So I guess it's for the business to weigh up whether it's worth litigating or not. But I think I think the good thing about IP that I really enjoy is, which might be different to other areas of commercial law, is it's not just about money. I think we're protecting something that people, that somebody has created. So I think often people will sue or send out letters of demand based on principle it's not necessarily just based on because they want to get some money out of someone do you relate to that in the things that you create and the sense of ownership or at least in a less cynical way the amount you've invested in that and the amount of effort and and thought you've put into something do you relate to that yeah I think so I think that's I think having my own business has definitely helped me um helps me in my job as a lawyer as an intellectual property lawyer to see the importance and to see why people well, I think I can emphasize how upset you might feel if someone goes and rips off your work. Yeah, and at the end of the day, it's probably it's probably not about wanting to get money out of that person. It's more about wanting to teach them a lesson, like don't copy my design. <laughs> Do you talk much about Edward Kwan and your business with with people at work? Well, I think <laughs> as a natural saleswoman yes <laughs> but um actually one of the partners in my team he it was actually his idea so last year I started a little offshoot brand called Gracie Kwan named after my grandma and it was actually his idea to do um, little hair bows he has two little daughters so I think that's why well he said he wouldn't he said that he wouldn't buy a bow tie but he would buy hair bows and so I was like oh yeah good idea and so then I just <laughs> I think my personality is I just I'm more someone who will launch something and then see how it goes rather than thinking about it and planning it all and then launching it I think I think I can also do that because all my products are handmade so it's it's not like I have to invest a lot in manufacturing and getting stock so there's not that much to lose I can just try something and see if it goes well have there been benefits to simply trying different things and seeing how they go? Yeah, I think there definitely are because I have, obviously I have tried some things and they haven't been as successful or or I've realised that it's not actually physically possible for me to do it. So I think it's good. I can just sort of introduce a few things and then 
make them disappear and no one really notices because I'm just small anyway. <laughs> what types of things do you learn when you launch a product and then it needs to disappear? I think because I am a really small business, it's not like I notice a huge a huge difference between the number of sales. Sales, It's more, I did, because Edward Kwan started off as women's clothing, at one stage I wanted to start doing women's clothing again. But I think the big thing for me to realize was that it's not physically possible for me to sew everything myself while being a lawyer and while running the bow tie business and everything. So I think that taught me just to realize that I don't have to turn everything into a business. Like I can just make clothing for myself and post it on the Instagram just for fun. <laughs> you mentioned um, your grandmother, Gracie Kwan. Did she, before that brand, Gracie Kwan, that you launched, did she have an influence on your thinking and in, in going into this business? Not really, but I think I realised at some point that I've always given a lot of credit to my grandfather for running the business and I never ever gave my grandma credit when actually she's turned up every day at work as well and she's 82 and she works alongside him doing the bookkeeping and everything so I thought it was just nice and fitting to name my little offshoot brand for girls after her. You talked about your team and the partner in your team being part of the inspiration or giving you the idea for Gracie Kwan. Have you found that that type of support is the rule rather than the exception in the legal profession? Yeah, definitely. Um, actually, my supervising partner, he does something completely... He produces musicals outside of law. So I think definitely in my team, it's um, completely accepted that we have lives outside of law. And yeah, there are other partners in other teams in the firm that like really value my business I had one who I've never really worked with I hadn't really worked with him at the time we're in different teams but he I added him on LinkedIn and he saw he saw my um my business it says it said that I was a lawyer at the firm and, and it also says founder of Edward Kwan so he called me up straight away and was telling me how impressed he was with it um and then he ended up buying a bow tie so <laughs> yeah I think everyone's pretty supportive what what are the key challenges of working full-time as a commercial lawyer and running a business? I guess the obvious challenge is having enough time to do everything. But I think I, I'm pretty fortunate because I don't work too long hours. I think different, different teams and diff- depends on the team culture and what area of law you're working in. But I gen- gen- generally work pretty good hours. But even then, I think... It's still a challenge to not get too tired. And I think the main thing for me is I think people often think that I must be so crazy busy because I work as a lawyer and I run my own business. But I think because I know that I'm actually leading a really busy life, I purposely, I think I'm more conscious than the average person of not being too busy. So in so on that basis, I actually scale back a bit and I end up not being too busy. How do you do that? How do you scale back when you have so many things in your life to think about? Mm. Um, I think I read, I think a few years ago, I read, I think a few years ago when I was just starting out my business and I was working in banking and I was doing my college of law training, I was way overdoing it and doing it too much and I got sick a lot. 
So I think around that time I read a book called Thrive by Ariana Huffington and she talked about the importance of getting enough sleep and and enough rest and when you actually do less you're actually able to be more productive. I think that book really resonated with me and that's what I aim to do. Like I think it's really important to get sleep and rest and not do too much and then you're actually more productive then you can sort of get stuff done quicker, more efficiently. If someone was starting a business or interested in starting a business and they're a practicing full-time lawyer, would you tell them to do it? Um, yeah, I'd, I would definitely tell them to do it, but I would I'd, I would say only do something because you're genuinely passionate about it. I wouldn't, don't, um, don't, don't do it because you want to make money or it's a way to get out of law. If you want to do it because you want to get out of law, that's fine, but I think it's hard to do two things unless you're really genuinely passionate about it, genuinely passionate about the business or what other hobby you have. You mentioned things that you've learned from Edward Kwan when practicing law, practicing IP and understanding maybe what clients are thinking. Do you apply knowledge in the other direction? Have you learned things in practicing law that improve the way your business runs? Uh, definitely. And I think probably specifically because I'm an intellectual property lawyer. So I've actually, I actually didn't, before I joined my team, I had filed my own trademark, but it wasn't actually, it was okay, but it didn't quite cover everything if you want to be really picky. So I refiled all my trademarks properly once I was in the team. And also I just, I guess as an if you're working on like a copyright litigation case, it's so important that designs have been dated and everything. So when I do work on my hand-painted designs, I'll make sure that I've got evidence of when they were created in case anyone ever copies me. <laughs> Has anyone ever tried to copy your work? No, not yet. I'd probably probably be flattered if someone did. But uh <laughs> What's next for the business? At the moment, I'm just really... I think it's really tempting to always try to keep diversifying and expanding but I think I've got enough I've got my bow ties ties pocket squares I've got the hair bows and I also sell these little clutch hand-painted clutch bags so I think I just want to sit on what I have and keep trying to grow it organically but obviously the paint the paint designs and working on paintings I really enjoy that aspect of it because I get to create whatever I want to create so Definitely, I want to work on my paintings. I'm pretty happy with how it's all going and I just want it to grow, keep growing organically slowly. I think there, there could be a number of A-type lawyers who would listen to this <laughs> and say, why doesn't Zara scale the business? It sounds fantastic. What would be the challenge or, or the problem in scaling the business? Well, I think in life, in general, you get out what you put in and I've... Like I physically only have enough time to put in X amount of time and effort to my business. And so that's what I get back. And at the moment, that's what I'm happy with. If if at some point later down the track, I changed my mind and I wanted to grow it bigger, then then I'd, I'd actually have to put in a lot more time and effort. And at this stage, I simply don't want to. So <laughs> I'm just happy with how it is. And I've got a good work-life balance at how it is. So I think... At this stage, I have no desire to grow it bigger. Have you had anything go wrong when building or trying to run the business? 
Yeah, definitely. And I think I, I've really valued things going wrong. I think people, I think peers and friends will look at my business and be like, oh my God, it's amazing. I can't believe you've started your own business and stuff. But I guess no one posts on Instagram about the things that go wrong. I've had, I remember when I was first starting out, I had my first business meeting with this really hip cafe in Melbourne and they were going to stock my stuff. They were going to do a big launch and everything. And I was really excited at, at that point, I hadn't really made that many sales. So I was kind of depending on this to make my brand well known. And anyway, it ended up with none of them getting back to me. <laughs> and that was pretty disappointing. I ended up having to follow up myself and they said they weren't going to go ahead with it. So that was my first disappointment. Um, and then I've had other things go wrong where I've had uh, stockists not pay me. And so it's really, um, it was really... I don't know, maybe I'm very positive about failure, but I thought it was a good, well, it's not failure, but I'm positive about things going wrong because it's like a good learning experience. Um, and in that case, I had to ask a lot of friends for advice on how to chase money because I don't know how to chase money, but I got paid in the end. <laughs> and then I've had fraudulent payments go through my website from um, the UAE, <laughs> stuff like that. And, and I couldn't be bothered fighting it, so I just let it go. And then in the end, the bow ties, the ties got returned. So yeah, it's been a really good experience. And I guess it's it's taught me. <laughs> I think the thing that's interesting as well is when I got that fraudulent payment, I just really couldn't be bothered fighting it. Like I didn't want the extra stress. So I guess that's interesting for me as a lawyer when we're suing and litigating or getting sued. I can just, I can't imagine how much stress our clients must be under. <laughs> Does that demonstrate the possibility of thinking with two very different minds in a way when you're thinking about how to run your business and what that requires and then being a lawyer? Are they very different types of thinking? No, I think it all really... I think the good thing about having my own business and being a lawyer is I feel like... I feel like it benefits my job as a lawyer the most because as a lawyer, I feel like I know what our clients are thinking or and I know what our clients might want. Obviously, I don't know what a big corporation's thinking, but I can, I can sort of know what a small to medium business owner is sort of thinking. So I think it helps my um, law career more. And I think also running my own business means I have to be a sales person. And at the end of the day, as lawyers, we have to be sales people as well because we need to bring in clients. Not so much as junior lawyers, but as you rise up the ranks. At the end of the day, we're all the same. We're all the same, I realise. Like whether you're a bow tie business or a lawyer or an electrician, you're just you're trying to get clients and customers. So we're just offering different services. Uh, a couple of questions ago in the answer, you used the word failure and then you quickly said, oh, maybe that's not a failure. Would there be anything that would happen in your business that you would consider a failure? I think, to be honest, I think the way I've set my business up, there probably can't be a failure because I'm not willing to take big risks and that's just what I've decided. I think if I wanted, if I were a bigger risk to take and I wanted to grow huge and get investors and start manufacturing, then there's a real risk of failure. But I think with my business as it is, as a little small handmade artisan product company, if I if I release a design that's crap, 
I just take it down. <laughs> no one knows it was there. So <laughs> I think, yeah, the way that I run my business and because it's so small, there isn't a big risk of failure and that's how I want it. It really did sound like Zara would be running this business and practicing law for a long time yet. I think it's a really good thing that I have something outside of law because I think for me, I think it makes my law career more rewarding because I'm not depending solely on my law career to provide me with fulfillment in life. I've got both. And I think in the same way, my law career, having my law career also helps me because I'm not depending solely on my business to make sales or there's no pressure on me to do well in my business. I can just do it because I want to. So I think they both really balance each other out and I'm glad I've got both. Lawyer by Day is by me, Mark Tyndall. As I mentioned at the start of the episode, you should really get in touch with me if you've got any ideas for the show. And we'll see you again in a few weeks.